Hello and welcome to a special edition of From Stretford to Singapore. I'm your host, Anne Morgan, and I'm so happy today because I'm in the studio surrounded by members of the American Women Association's writing group. And this podcast is part of a series that we're recording, which celebrates writing and the writing process, and especially the writers of the American Women's Association, because being part of that group has been one of the great joys for me in, for my time in Singapore. So uh, in the studio today, let me introduce everybody. Uh, we've got Helena, we've got Sai, and we've got Gillian. So um, Sai, let's start with you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I came to Singapore about 20 years ago for the very first time. We settled in Singapore about 16 years ago, so I've been here a very long time. Um, I can first remember coming to the AWA um, about 10 years ago, and I started with a, a group of lovely women there and met many good friends. And that's, that's a, a real plus about the AWA, isn't it? It's the lasting relationships and friendships that you make. Absolutely. Yeah. And... Being part of that group helped me to express myself on paper and and also helped me to settle down in Singapore for the very first time. Yeah. And, and Gillian, you're one of our newest, um, well, returners, I think. I am. Thank you. <laughs> I lived here in 2012 for one year. And um, which is when I joined the Writers Club for the first time. And I met Sai there, and we formed a lifelong friendship at least seven years now. Mm. So it's been wonderful. And again, I would second um, what Sai said about the experience and about meeting terrific, terrific women and um, making new friends and getting an opportunity to read. I moved back to Singapore from the United States uh, in last year, 2018. And um, so I'm one year down again, and it's been good. Great. Thank you. And, and Helena, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi. Um, I moved to Singapore last year in August. I arrived just the day after um, National Day. So it was a city that was very quiet <laughs> after all the celebrations, I guess. And um, as soon as I got here, my husband had to travel, so I was here I had lived in the same house for 27 years before in Philadelphia, and I got here, and I didn't know anyone, and I was all alone. And then AWA uh, had its welcome fair, and I joined the writers group, and I said, oh, I'm not really a writer. I'm more of an editor. I had been a teacher for a really long time. But wow, what a great experience to read as much as I get to do here. And then I've been encouraged so much to to start writing on my own and it's been a really gratifying experience really great fantastic and is Singapore feeling a little bit more like home now oh so much more I can't even begin to tell you because of things like the writers group I'm also in a number of sketching groups um, but the writers group really uh, means an awful lot to me I have to rearrange my schedule on those Thursdays when we meet so that um, I can meet and I and I wouldn't miss it. It's really wonderful to do. You know, it, it really is. <coughs> and um, we I joined the uh, writers group about two and a half years ago now. And again, it, it was one of those things. I was at a crossroads in life. Um, I'd been 
I'd been an events manager in Singapore. I'd been a mentor and and I suddenly found myself with some time on my hands and I and I reached into my heart and I thought well what do I really want to do surely mm-hmm. I'm at that stage now where I could actually you know really start thinking about what I've always wanted to do and and one of the things that that has always been something that I've loved but not really indulged was writing mm-hmm. And I plucked up the courage and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, you know, and I'd already been in Singapore um, at least eight years at that point. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to join the American Women's Association and I'm going to join the writers group. <laughs> and um, and I found the whole process. Um, it's just as well as the friendships that we make I think you know the actual process of going into the meeting and if you are reading you know we share our work so we hand out a copy to everybody um, we read a piece and then people it's people's contribution to making that piece better so there's a lot of you know the 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 sharing of um you know because we've got so many different perspectives as well so it's just the feedback that you get is so useful because it is very targeted to what you've written and you know it's not just a bland sort of oh that's nice it's wow have you thought about doing this and maybe if you move that and and is this word you know saying what you really want it to say and then you can rejig it and mm-hmm. make it something better mm-hmm. so I think that's a for me that's been hugely helpful it's that sort of deliberate practice of forcing yourself to write and then rewrite what you've written and then you've become better yeah and the interesting thing for me a lot of times is that um you know i'm i'm just an amateur i've I've edited a million things but i never wrote anything at all for publication and we're in rooms in in the room with people who have written novels who've written travel books who've run a a blog for many many years so they're professional writers and they are still looking for our feedback and accepting it with and giving it to us as well and I think that that's a really wonderful experience absolutely Mm -hmm. I I, I totally agree and and that's the thing uh, you know all levels of experience Mm. but really it is the people who are good editors who have got (laughs) you know a really tremendous contribution Uh, absolutely I think you don't necessarily have to bring along something to read that you've written. Um, mm. It's so valuable. It's such a touchstone for me to um, have an editor there who will be strong enough to write a word over the top of your words that is better, <laughs> in fact, ten times better sometimes. Um, and I'm so thankful for that as a writer. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. And Sai, I think that's a great time now. You actually have brought, you've got a piece of work there to read, because we're all going to read a, a piece of our work. But I'd love to start with, with your with your poem. And tell us a little bit about your writing process and, and why you've started to write, and a little bit about the poetry, especially. Um, well, when I was working in London, uh, I was an academic, so I had to write for my work there. But when I came to Singapore, I thought, I'm free to write whatever I like. Um, And to begin with, I was writing prose. I started a novel. Um, And then, about six months ago, strangely, I read a book of Tom Hanks' work, his short stories. And it really inspired me to write poetry. 
I don't know where it came from, off the top of my head, was a poem about Tom Hanks <laughs> and his uh, uh, 150 typewriters. Here it is. Tom Hanks is a great collector. Typewriters is a special thing. Keyboards, ribbons, spools and levers. Type, 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 ping, ping. Remington and Olivetti, Underwood and IBM, Smith Corona, Selectomatic, Royal Safari, Hermes 10. Everyone a classic beauty. Each machine a work of art. Each one with its special features. Magic in each moving part. The permanence of type in paper. The ink indented in that way. But permanence is sadly fleeting. While transients seem here to stay. Tom doesn't want them buried with him. He'd never get a cemetery. Can't find it in his heart to leave them. Already is in purgatory. But hot dog, gee whiz, there mustn't be a burden to his kids. So would you like an old typewriter? He's clearing out and getting rid. How weird the world of life's possessions. How strange the power of get and give. Half a life in acquisition, the final part in parting with. Mm. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo indeed. Oh. Yeah, that's a lovely poem. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the last stanza, especially. I, I, I love the tie in with life there. Well, I'm getting on in years now, I'm over 70. Um, and you begin to realise just how much stuff you have around you, how many possessions. And just like Tom, you wonder what's going to happen to them. They've been very special to you, but will they be special to anybody else? Um, and, it, and they do have such a strange power over you. Sometimes you don't want them all around you, but you don't want to get rid of them either um, and you seem to spend half your life in acquiring possessions and then in the end <laughs> um, they don't seem so important as, as people themselves really yeah it's a great mm. lesson for us all <laughs> yeah so well I know you've got another poem to read but um, do you want to read it now or shall we Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, um, when I started writing poetry, I realised that it wasn't just the day job. It seemed for me to be a night job as well. Um, <laughs> I couldn't seem to turn off, especially if I was if I was trying to write just before I went to sleep, and it would be going round and round in my head. And finally, I'd wake up, give up and try not to wake my husband and to do some writing in the middle of the night. So, I have a sneaky habit, I have to admit. <laughs> sneaky habit. Writing rhyme is a sneaky habit of mine, totally addictive, but socially restrictive. Somewhere, suddenly, I have an idea. They need to nab it while it's near. So I steal away in the middle of the day to scribble phrases in secret places. Words pop up but can be quickly forgotten 
can scamper over memory something rotten, jostle in line and trip over one another, or disappear down the end of a rubber. Birth can leave me stressed and yawning, worried and writing at three in the morning. He's asleep, half dead on the other side of the bed, so doesn't feel me reach for a pen before my dreams drown the rhymes again. Mm. Oh. oh, lovely. <laughs> the nocturnal writer indeed, yeah. Gillian, let's turn to you and uh, okay. tell us a little bit about your piece. This piece is inspired by the horses that I spend time with. Um, I began riding um, English style about three years ago. So I'm a new rider and um, not to be confused with writer. Every time <laughs> I say that, people write, is it riding or riding? I have to say clop, clop. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I was thinking about the horses and I am so taken by them as creatures and it interests me that they have their own thoughts and that they see things that we don't see or they see things differently than we do. And I initially thought, well, I'll write about me and I'll write about coming to the riding club here and won't that be interesting? And then I thought, well, my story is like every other woman's story maybe who's come to the riding club. And then I thought, you know, what if the horse has told the story? So this is a departure for me. I haven't tried this before, so I'll test it out on you. Um, what happens when the horses tell the story? Shall I start? Go oh, ahead. <laughs> um, this is called Blood in the Barn. We saw her lying crumpled in the gutter. Blood covered her outstretched arm and soaked into her white shirt sleeve. Her neck was at a weird angle, her hair loose from her ponytail and glued to the back of her helmet. Her legs were bent and stiff, pointed up almost upwards in a twist. Her eyes were partly open and staring. A noisy van of sorts came screaming into the parking lot, blue and red lights swirling around and the siren blaring, making quite a racket. They've been here to our riding club many times before, mainly to collect riders who have fallen off of us while jumping over a fence, or who couldn't hold on when we bolted from a monkey. Those riders moaned and groaned. A few had broken bones, and all had broken egos, but they've never before been summoned for a murder. Humans poured out of the van. A sharp clap of thunder made one of them yelp. Rain started down in sheets, cold and straight, splashing on the pavement. Get her covered up, one of them screamed. Get the cot and be careful. And watch where you step because forensic will be here and you'll know how particular those guys are. Tell them to come to the riders club, the one on Magnolia Drive. Forensics? That's a stretch. The rain will surely wash away any evidence they need. A male human threw a tarp on the ground and group moved in to lift her from the pavement. Someone tape off the area, he ordered, tossing a roll of yellow ribbon on the ground. It's so goddamn dark around here, one of them swears. How can we see anything with one freaking light bulb on? The human dragged his shirt up over his nose. God, this place smells like shit. It's true. There is only one old light swinging on the end of a cord. Would they expect this place to be lit up? We sleep here, after all. No one likes the light on all night. As for the shit smell, well, I'm not going to dignify that comment. I'll simply say that the smell of meat on human breath is just as disgusting. A female human sweeps her flashlight up and down our stall, pausing on our faces until it hurts our eyes and we retreat. Is there anyone here? She hollers in the dark, rain falling steadily on her hooded poncho. We're going to need to give some information to the police. We need witnesses. Too bad these guys can't talk. 
She gestured toward us helplessly, letting her arms fall to her sides. Just drive the girl to the hospital now, you moron. Stop messing about, I wanted to say. But I'm only a horse. As far as witnesses go, there are 46 of us here, to be exact. We're only using one eye each at a time, so divide that in half and you get 23 eyes on the crime. But they never thought to ask us what we saw. Questions for the witness. Do you remember the first time you met the deceased? But first, speak your name for the record. Well, my name's Ogford Lass, also known as Big Mama. I see so many humans every day and each one hardly makes an impression. They move rapidly and purposely through the yard as if they're on a top secret mission and can't be bothered to stop. I jerk my head up sharply, glare at them and flare my nostrils. I even bang my head against my stall bar, which makes the chain rattle and sounds scary. That's right, they chain my stall bar to the wall because I'm clever enough to knock it right off and escape. I do this to get something to eat. I'm always hungry and this place is quite stingy with the food. There is a sign outside my stall that says, This horse bites, with a red arrow pointing right at me. Yes, I bite all right. Come closer, human, and I'll show you. Come to think of it, I do remember our first meeting. This tall, chipper human ducked under my stall bar and called my name in that high-pitched and hopeful voice. She struck me as foolish, but she brought me a candy cane and I immediately snapped it up. She lowered her hand and expected me to nuzzle her for more. But instead, I gave her the full experience, which is to say I flattened my ears, dropped my head, and sank my teeth into the fleshy part of her hand below the thumb. Ha! She never saw it coming. She fidgeted with her glove and pulled it down a bit to see if I had drawn blood. While she was fussing, I bit her again on the upper arm, just for good measure. She should have never barged into my house like that. Too trusting, that human. Too trusting indeed. Next, please. I'm Glenmore Cara also known as Jill. Let's see if I can remember. It was an ordinary morning for me, but her first day at our club. It was so early. The yard was quiet and the moon was still out. I saw her standing in the shadows, squinting in the light to read my nameplate. It looked like she needed glasses and was obviously not a spring chicken. She spoke softly to me, so I moved forward in my stall to get a closer look. Good morning, baby girl. Shh, it's okay. Her voice calmed me. I fixed my eye on her and exhaled long and slow. She smiled wide, lifted her hand to my nose, and traced the outline of my nostrils. I've been called the prettiest horse in the yard, and although bragging isn't classy, I've done something humans call modeling for clothing ads. I recall that her hand shook as she fussed with my stirrups. Lower them, then raise them, then lower them again. She had quite long legs, that rider. Energy radiated off of her, a mixture of hope and excitement and fear. I also felt sadness in her touch. She misses someone, I thought. She was lonely, too. The best thing about her was that she gave me a whole handful of carrots. She seemed so kind, and it crossed my mind that someone would take advantage of her. Next, please. I'm ex-Hester, also known as Charlie. The first time I met her, who wants to know? Give me a treat, and then I'll tell you. Or I could snooze off. Or I could turn my back and prop my bum up against the rail, nice and secure. Or I could lie down all the way on my stall floor if I want. Okay, okay. The human in the gutter? Yeah, I know her. The first time we met, she came by my stall before riding. Look how cute you are, she said. And she dug a treat out of her pocket. Yes, score. She's going to be easy, I thought to myself. She called me a cheeky lady man, whatever that means. I'm good looking, though, spotted brown and white, and I'm strong enough to buck anyone off. She baby-talked me and lifted up my left front hoof to pick. 
blah, blah, on and on. She was talking to me. I can't really remember anything she said. I got so tired of holding my leg up, so I reached my neck around and got my teeth on her butt. No, not her butt, technically, but her breeches. And I pulled them out and let them go. Snap. She jumped back and shrieked, Charles, you naughty boy. I don't know where she got that name, because humans always call me Charlie. But who cares? Problem solved. No more hoof picking that day. She put my foot down, scooted under the stall bar, and walked away. So I turned on my charm and said something like, Wait, don't go yet. I was just kidding. Hey, human. And it worked. She came back, said some googly stuff, scratched my face, and loaded me up on carrots. I'd say she was easy. A pushover. She couldn't say no to anyone. Last witness. Rakul Skywalker, also known as Skywalker. Yes, I met the human in question. She took mercy on me one morning in the shower. I'd been tied there, left dripping and alone for the longest time. There was a nasty rainstorm and lightning was cracking around the stables. I found it annoying that no one would move me to my stable on account of the rain when I was already soaking wet. I can still see her circling around asking if anyone was taking care of me. She came up to me and called me Carter. An egregious mistake but I let it go under the circumstances. She mothered me to death, brushing my coat and even picking my feet, which few people do without fear. Even I was stunned, and I let her proceed without a fight. Finally, she took my lead rope and walked me to Carter's stall, only to see him standing dumbly in it. Her head whipped around, and as rain slashed down on us, cold and heavy, she panicked. Who are you? she asked. I chuckled inside and stood silently. She asked around until someone correctly identified me. I felt her body go rigid with fear. Now she knows who I am, and to think she picked my feet. She led me to my stall, shaking, radiating tension. I could have attacked her, but I decided to wait for another day. After all, she tried her best, silly woman. Her only fault that day was her oblivious good nature. That will get you in the end. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the very beginning of what I imagine would be a piece where the horses will slowly observe all of us at the stables and they'll tell the reader how the person ended up dead and um, what they've seen. I think they see a lot. They see all of our flirting all our petty jealousies all our happiness all our disagreements our regular life that we live out right in front of them and they stand there and I think well what do they know my only fear is that I can't properly dignify a horse in the way that they might not be thinking so many complex things about us <laughs> they might in fact be thinking god lady produce the food and leave um but I'm not sure fascinating uh, horsey who done it <laughs> oh yeah and who knew such darkness was under that idyllic surface of, of a stable oh my goodness indeed that's yeah. a great start to a who done it though mm -hmm. and a beautiful angle i'm not sure how to do it so i hope the group can give me some pointers in the future and how does one make a mystery happen and get solved yeah Thank I think you. it's it's always a particular joy when somebody's got a project that that builds 
you know, throughout the meeting. So we've got a few people who've started novels and then we get treated to a chapter every week and yeah. and watching the story take place and unfold and and getting to know the characters it's a wonderful thing so i can't wait to hear more installments of that though that's a i mean you know a sad end for such a lovely person <laughs> i don't know the woman <laughs> yes. oh dear what a great plot and uh, oh, beautiful scenes love it thank you yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So, Helen, let's go to you. Okay. So, uh, I'm talking about why I write? Yes. Well, um, as I've said before, I was a teacher for many, many years, and um, I saw a lot of students writing. And uh, as a teacher, you can tell them that there is something wrong, but you can't fix it. You're not supposed to. <laughs> so, um, and then... Uh, part of being a teacher is that you write lots and lots of letters of recommendation. And um, that may be where I got my start in fiction because you do write a lot of things where you pick a little kernel of something and you say so-and-so has this fabulous quality which you may have observed fleetingly at some pre-dawn hour somewhere, you know. Uh, not really true, but uh, it, it is really uh, fun to work with students and to read their work and to write about them later once you've gotten to know them a little bit. But as you said, I was working uh, as in, in academics in high school teaching, and, and I had to write what needed to be mm-hmm. written mm-hmm. and couldn't write what I felt like mm-hmm. writing. And um, I'm also a painter, and so I think very much in imagery and so poetry comes much more naturally to me, or even kind of uh, prose poems come much more naturally to me than um, longer narrative forms. Um, so I've written a few things f- with the group, kind of examining uh, an anecdote and trying to parse it and figure out how someone might feel facing that moment or how someone has felt as an echo of that moment. Um, and the other thing that I really am fascinated with, which Jillian did so beautifully, is taking the opposite angle of what you would expect to see. So if you have, um, say, like in the, in the novel Wicked, where you have the whole story told from the Wicked Witch of the West's point of view, that to me is a really fascinating idea. And so that's, that's what I've done here. Uh, the movie um, Psycho, is about creepy Norman Bates and how he murders a woman. And in the end, uh, it's his mother's body that is uh, mummified in the house. And Norman is channeling her voice saying, you know, it's just, I'm just like my, that, that I wouldn't hurt a fly, I never would hurt anyone, and Norman Bates has actually been invaded by his mother. And I thought, gee, poor Mrs. Bates, right? She, <laughs> she, yeah. she never got a chance to yeah. give her version of this story. Indeed. And so I wanted to exonerate her, but I found that I couldn't. Oh. So this is my poem of Norman Bates' mother. He was always a nervous boy, so I did my best to help him. The hotel guests clucked him under the chin, admiring his eyelashes. 
Norman would run to the back of the room, out of view of the desk, but the bells on the door jangled his little heart, and he cried often from being startled. I nudged him to be strong, insisted he stand up straight and look a person in the eye. Normie shuddered even when it wasn't cold. His gaze floated over a person's shoulders. At least he never talked back, and he ate all his vegetables. If I could just have got him to be brave and not shrink from the light of day, if he but once had straightened his spine, I would not have needed to stand betwixt him and all the harm that can come to a boy, a sweet, fragile boy who senses the danger in the world and has no inkling how to counter it. It all fell on me. Mm. <laughs> the ending is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing about this poem is that I wrote it on my phone on different buses. And <laughs> I have read about people writing novels <laughs> on the phone, and I thought, well, what an idea to just be out there, like you say, where the idea grabs you, try and sit down and write it right then. So that's my first time doing that, too. Typically, I'm sitting at the, the dining room table racking my brains, but I thought it was just kind of fun to let the ideas come to me this time. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing these days because we've got so many portable electronics where it lends itself mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to actually recording those uh, those thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to be tied to... Uh, I mean, does, every, does anybody carry... I, I still carry a notebook. I around. do carry a notebook, yeah. yeah. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I do too, yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I n never quite know why because... I think anything you do with a notebook, you can do on your iPhone. But I still do it. I don't know whether it's habit, but I still like the feeling of the thoughts going from my head, down my arm, through my fingers. There's a really gratifying onto a pencil and paper. sensation of it being mm. a physical production of the yeah. of the yeah. text. Yeah, yeah mm. I agree. I agree, yeah. yeah. It, 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 there's something very satisfying about mm -hmm. it when you actually can yeah. see. And mm. even if you don't write in your notebook, the fact that it's, you're right, the fact that it's there just mm. is a little prop yeah. for me now. I, just yeah. <laughs> you know. I always used to say, I think the very best invented technology is a pencil with a rubble on the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that old thing? It, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to plug yeah. it in. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. No, I think too, there. like, Having the old journals or looking back through them months or even years later, it's been fun. I use different color gel pens and I like to think, I don't know, I just like to read the things I thought then. And I realize, well, some things have never changed. I'm still that person five years later. I'd still write that today. And then other things I think, wow, I've moved on from. I like that about paper and pens and notebooks mm. that you can just mm -hmm. ripple through them and see your life yeah and that's what i love about diaries as well and i keep mm. all my o old diaries and sometimes i'll just think i wonder what i was doing two years ago and i'll just i mean i just keep you know the, the very minimum in the diaries but you just think oh yeah two years ago today i was <laughs> you know doing this and you you realize mm. then the passage of time and exactly that how many things are similar but then how many things are changed and in a way how many things that you thought about five years ago and you look back at it and you say, oh, that's a seed for some mm -hmm. other thing that I could write now. 
yes right so, so this is you know where do ideas come from yeah. how yeah. do you join the dots mm-hmm. you know and and you know you everyone has come up with something that's not typical mm-hmm. you know it's turning things around looking at them from from a different angle i think that is that's very uh, interesting i mean I have to say, the piece I have um, is a very short piece, and it's just an, an, um, an excerpt that um, I've written about the American Association, which has been a huge part of my time here because I, I worked um, as I stood in as the events manager at various times <laughs> over a, a seven year period. And I've written a small piece about. Um, one of the events that I um, that I was uh, charged with uh, organising, and the piece is called uh, 51 Trees. Not known for resting on their laurels, or indeed resting at all, the American Association of Singapore, AAS, was especially busy during 2015's year-long commemorations marking Singapore's 50th birthday. As the AAS events manager, I shouldered the heavy burden of identifying and organising a signature birthday event, an event worthy of the shiny new SG50 logo we'd crafted for our website. Something hefty, something meaningful, something that would have a lasting impact. As the summer sped by and my search for the elusive big-ticket event increasingly urgent, an email popped into my inbox from the Singapore National Parks team. They were organising a tree planting drive. Perhaps the AAS would like to get involved. A tree. Brilliant. Who doesn't like the idea of planting a tree? Even the Queen does it. (laughs) Oh yes, tree planting (laughs) held out distinct possibilities. In the AAS, all event proposals pass through a percolation process, germinating only occurring after detailed perusal by a rigid chain of command. Julie, the the idea uh, of the tree planting was mooted to the general manager. She declared herself keen and propelled the idea upwards for the executive committee to debate at the next board meeting. The agenda was light that evening, affording the tree project plenty of forensic attention. One tree was deemed too feeble, barely registering an impact. By the end of the meeting, the solitary tree had been joined by others, 50 others, making 51 trees in total, 50 to represent the 50 American states and Singapore's birthday, and an extra tree to symbolise Singapore itself. The National Park team were delighted, but also canny. And our act of environmental altruism came at a cost. Each tree had a price tag, a price AAS needed to recoup. To generate the cash, we decided to call upon the American community's love of philanthropy and the AAS designers' love of a good certificate. Each tree could be sponsored and would be named after an American state. As an added incentive, any benefactors could help plant their tree and receive a fancy certificate in acknowledgement. Out went the call to the community, in rushed the response. Multiple requests to sponsor Texas, New York, (laughs) California and Florida. Even tiny Rhode Island had a dedicated following. The satisfying line of ticks on my spreadsheet grew, but a worrying number of states remained unchecked. Wyoming, anybody? What about Montana? Where on earth is Wisconsin? 
I needed a plan for those unclaimed orphans. No tree was going to be left unplanted on my watch. We needed a bigger reach and so rallied the support of the US Embassy, the Singapore American School and finally the mighty US Navy. It was the involvement of the Navy that finalised the location for our tree planting. The National Parks team had offered us some limited options, one of which was, was an exposed pathway on a park connector in Sembawang. This outwardly uninspiring scrap of land happened to be near a, the place, not a base, definitely not a base, where the US Navy is stationed, and also not a million miles away from the Singapore American School. Our trees had found their home. Mm. Uh, so to be continued, <laughs> that's so. another point. But uh, yeah. I, had, I had such a lot of fun organising the most eclectic... <laughs> range of events uh, for the association you know everything from bar nights to black tie balls to golf tournaments and uh, yeah the, the tree planting was uh, a particularly special one so you found someone from wyoming we, <laughs> we did <laughs> i would have sponsored idaho just so you know yeah. <laughs> and so, how are those trees now are so they going on i'm going to go and have a look at them oh. because of course it's now been uh, several yeah. years since they've been planted mm -hmm. yeah. so i'm doing um every sunday we walk um for about 10 kilometers uh, at various places in singapore and we're going to go back to the park. They're on a park connector up there. So I'm, I know exactly where they are. So Are they labelled? Could one no. see the tree? So that was the oh. thing. It was so funny. This whole project about, um, you know, sponsoring these trees. So you paid for the trees, but there was to be absolutely no labelling. You know, you couldn't say dedicated to the American, you know, or, or a gift from the American community to the people of Singapore or any of the above. Really? So they are literally just... Um, a, 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 they're a mixed bunch. You know, there's several different uh, types no of tree. No monoculture. Mm -hmm. But they're along an exposed pathway. So the idea is that they offer shade mm. uh, for people who are, who mm. are walking, as, as well as obviously having the longevity of, um, of tree life. Sure. Mm. Yeah. So uh, it was beautiful. But unfortunately... Um, we plant not on, I mean, it, it turned out very well in the end, but we planted them in October of 2015, which was the worst smog in living memory. And I was up most of the night looking at the um, PSI levels because I agreed with the um, with the people from the national parks that if it hit a certain level, we couldn't go and plant them because sure. it was just too too much. Uh, but Honestly, I have to say this, the community themselves, they were so enthusiastic. No one mentioned the fact, I mean, because it got quite close to the upper level, but it didn't cross it. Mm -hmm. So at six o'clock, we called it, you know, I, I rang them and said, I measured, you know, do we agree? It's at this level, we're going ahead. And then mm -hmm. I rang the president and we, you know, we, <laughs> we, 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 we rang the bus and said, we're on. And we all got on the bus, all the community, and no one mentioned it. Oh. You know, it's like we're just so keen and everybody had, we all had a, a sign next to each tree as to which state it was. Mm. And the way that we got our orphans, so I, I adopted Montana. Oh. <laughs> Very good of you. I was sad to hear the, so much of the Pacific Northwest was neglected. Yeah. Montana all the, and Wyoming. Where all the logging industry Those is. are my neighbors. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it just, you know, it's just so. But the school took any um, anyone that was unsponsored. The school took, oh, and that's they great. all got the certificates mm-hmm. and all the school. And so we had a lot of um, a lot of the students came to to plant their particular tree. That's so fun. Yeah, and we had, all had coffee afterwards. And what a great event! Oh, it was yeah, lovely. Really nice. It was really nice. I really, yeah. I really love how in your in your retelling of it that you just interject those kinds of dialogue moments in there like uh when you're saying this state or that state was claimed wyoming anyone though (laughs) you know i just think it's true it's so wonderful the way you bring us into the moment of of what was happening there i really enjoy that a lot oh thank you yeah Yeah. it was it was um we had as a team we were a very very close team and Mm -hmm. it's a small office Mm -hmm. with a small team Mm -hmm. and of course everybody got involved in everything Mm -hmm. so the singapore american newspaper the um living in singapore book all the everyone's an events manager by the way if you Mm -hmm. ever go into events it's uh, Mm -hmm. oh why don't you do this and why don't you do that And, and why don't we recreate the hanging gardens of babylon <laughs> why not no, you know. no. so you're english how many other english people worked at the aas we took it over you did oh huh? we loved it yeah they let one in about three others came is that right oh and when they used to laugh and and, and you, the board are, are all american mm. and um at one stage in the staff, I think there were three of us out of about eight, you know, so mm. we were almost halfway there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, oh, it was, um, yeah, it was always a bit of a standing joke. But that's know. something that I really like about our writers group as well. Yeah. That it is yeah. truly internationally represented. Yeah. yeah. That we have. Mm. And actually, our, the American community is um, is incredible for that you know nobody really makes it, it doesn't matter you know what you know in, mm. even look at us today you know i mean we've got two americans and two yeah. two, two british women in you know in mm-hmm. the, in the group and mm-hmm. it is a very eclectic group and that is you know something that it's kind of a, a hallmark of the awa it's a huge mm. hallmark mm. not yeah. just of mm. the awa also of mm. the american association mm. the generosity of the community mm. knows no bounds so it doesn't mm. matter what nationality you are mm. it doesn't matter if you're singaporean or anything if you're mm. at home not at home you know wherever your home is your home mm. is in the uh, you know the awa mm. i sure and, have and felt that mm. way over the years so that i've been here yeah, yeah. and, and mm. i've definitely you know i traveled halfway around the world to find a different community and weirdly found myself in you know in this particular not weirdly but I am asked that question quite a lot you know how how did you end up working for the American Association <laughs> right. and I think the answer is through their incredible generosity and mm-hmm. uh, and the general manager at the time yes Jen Wood I'm talking to you <laughs> uh, took a chance and I'll I'll never forget it because it it really d- was um an incredible experience for me and a very happy, happy one. I mean, it wasn't without its moments. Oh, of course. <laughs> there were times. Americans, after all. Yeah. We can be a handful. Oh, right. there was, there was, there is, I love that. The hand, the, the, there was lots of handfuls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 we can all be a handful at times. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for documenting that, though. That's something to look back to. You yes. Know, over a period of time, you'll look back and read that piece. And even as you have now, a few years later. Thanks for sharing it. Something I didn't know, but now I oddly want to see those trees. Yes. Yeah. And I think, so what I'm planning to do, and I I just need a little bit of motivation, but what what I'm um, planning to do is um, 
write a, a, a sort of memoir about my time and what I learned about the American community, mm. but mainly about the stories of that particular, just that snapshot in time, you know, what it was like between mm -hmm. 2010 and, and, and 2016. Uh, yeah. maybe 2017 when I when when I I left the association you know mm -hmm. what what were the the highlight stories for me so yeah. that's mm -hmm. that's what I'm working on at the moment so I look forward to it well I just need to stick my backside on a chair <laughs> don't we all and don't we all yeah. <laughs> and I think that brings us to a lovely um, conclusion to our reading and uh, and discussion today I, I hope everybody's enjoyed it as much as, as I have because uh, I, I you know I think it, um, I loved all the different voices and all the different stories so I'd like to thank um, you know thank you uh, thank you Jill Thank you, Sai. Thank you, Helena, for, for being here today. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. Yeah, it's really fun. And thank mm. you for listening. Mm. And if you want to find out uh, more about the From Stretford to Singapore podcast, uh, please, uh, you can download it from SoundCloud. And you can also find out more on, on the website, which is celebratingthestory.com. Thank you. Thanks.